Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. If you got your Bibles, Acts chapter 10, we're, we're finishing up. Uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 34, as Pastor Matt just read, and, and roll through the end of the, of the chapter. Uh, as, as a kid, uh, growing up on uh, the coast, I, I grew up swimming in the Gulf of Mexico at, at Surfside Beach. Uh, the tan has long gone with my pasty whiteness. Uh, but summertime found us... Uh, building sandcastles and and getting stung by jellyfish and testing the limits of of how many sandbars we could wade past as as the the waters of the Gulf got over our heads as kids uh, and, and so but but there was one kind of hard, fast rule that we always had uh, to do this. We always had to keep an eye as you're out, in, out at Surfside Beach, out in the waters. We always had, there was one hard, fast rule. We had to keep an eye on where mom and company were posted up on the beach, right? We had to, we had to keep an eye on where mom was posted up on the beach because the tides could carry you out pretty far in only really a matter of minutes. And, and before you knew it, you'd look up to realize that though mom was directly at your 12 o'clock right in front of you, five minutes later, she was 200 yards to your right. Mom, mom never moved. Uh, we did. We did as the water carried us even, even when we didn't realize it. This is the church right now. <laughs> the gospel has never moved. Amen? Can I, can I get an amen on that? Amen. The gospel has never moved, but my fear is that uh, we have. My fear is that the tides of, of culture are, are carrying us away from the biblical gospel. Uh, God, God had one message of utmost importance that, that he wanted Peter to share with Cornelius and his crew. Uh, they, they needed to hear the gospel, amen? They needed to hear the gospel. Listen, like we, we all need this reminder. The, the mission and movement of God is, is, uh, rests on Christ alone, amen? The mission and movement of God, it rests on Christ alone. Uh, Francis Schaeffer, one of my heroes in the faith, he, he talks about it in his book, uh, How Then Should We Live? But, but he talks about modern humanism and, and really how it's, it's infiltrated the church and even the teachings of the church. But, but he says this about, about uh, modern humanism. It's a value system rooted in this belief that, that man uh, is... is uh, really his own measure. 
that man is his own measure, that man is autonomous, that man is, is independent. And, and so the, the question I would just kind of throw out there as we dive into the text this morning is what about you? H- have you? Have you allowed the culture to sweep you into believing that, that man and the work of man is the center of the gospel? And not God. See, John 6, 28 and 29, there was a group of people who came to Jesus. And they said, Jesus, what, what must we, we do? Ch- check out the wording. What, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. See, the end of Acts 10, I I believe, is a call to clarity and and conviction. And it's a call for us to get back to gospel-centered. Amen? It's a call to get back to gospel-centered. And so I want to look at three things uh, that that I believe define the gospel-centered church. Uh, I want you to look at your neighbor and say, the gospel-centered church. Right? There's a lot of talk about the gospel-centered church. I want you to look at verses 34 through 36. It says this, So Peter opened his mouth and he said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace, of peace through Jesus Christ, for he is Lord of all. The first thing that I want to look at with the gospel-centered church, the gospel-centered church points to real peace. The gospel-centered church points to real peace. I want you to look at your neighbor. We're already warmed up, and I want you to say, point to real peace. Look at your other neighbor say, point to real peace. So, so in verse 34 and 35... But it really is just, it provides this reiteration and this validation of, of what has already been building in Peter's exchange with Cornelius. And as Cornelius, you know, we see this in verse 33, 30 through 33, Cornelius recounts this God-given vision. And, and here in verse 34 and 35, Peter finally, right, because even a few verses back, he's like, yeah, y'all are going to have to tell me what I'm here for, right? Like, just still a, a, a little oblivious of what's going on. You get to 34 and 35, and finally, Peter confesses his full understanding of what God was up to. What was God up to? Listen, he, what, the, the fulfillment of what he started a long time ago, all the way back all the way back in the garden, all the way back to Abram in his, his covenant with Abram that all the nations of the earth, all the families of the earth would be blessed through the person and work of Jesus. And Howard Marshall says, says this, he says, God's election of Israel is important. 
was based solely on God's choice and not on any merits of the people. And, and hence, there's no inconsistency in the claim that God accepts people of all nations on the same basis. Listen, it was never, it was never about, like there's scripture that spells this out clearly. It was never about Israel being unique and special in and of themselves. It was always grace. Amen? There's always grace. The plan was always for the nations. The plan was always for, for, for all people. And so when you get to verse 34 and Peter says, now I understand, God shows no partiality in the Greek. And we've been unpacking this over the last several weeks, but it, it means God plays no favorites. That's good. That's good news, right? God plays no favorites. He's no respecter of persons. And you get to verse 35, and look at verse 35. See, some, some believe that verse 35 points to the possibility of like a works-based approach to salvation, but that, that's not what it's saying. Listen, when it says those who fear him and do what is right, listen, they're, they're not acceptable to him in the sense of, of justification, right, of, of being made right with God through Jesus. Rather, it's, it's completing the thought of verse 34 that God in his sovereignty and this is good news. Not only doesn't play faves, he sees and is working in those who fear him and do good. And we talked about this clearly, clearly, like even in the case of Cornelius, Cornelius' good works were not sufficient for salvation. Can we, can we agree on that? As pious and as great as a dude of course, as Cornelius was, his good works were not sufficient for salvation. But there, there was a, there's a sense in which God's sort of, co- whatever you want to call it, common grace is at work in those that he's drawing to himself. God moves and he works through Cornelius' responsiveness ultimately to send Peter. He sends Peter so that he can explain to him the way of salvation. And then you get to verse 36, and Peter gets to the word. The word that wasn't just for Israel. It wasn't just for Israel. It was, for, it was the good news for all people of peace through Jesus. Amen? The whole world is looking for peace we're looking for peace. <laughs> the other night, the fam, we're, we're, watching, we're watching TV, and amen, and, a, and a, a, a car, there's this Hyundai car commercial that comes on, and uh, maybe you've seen it, and in it, the, this mom, she's being bombarded by her kids uh, on a road trip, and she's having to deal with noisy kiddos, she's having to deal with apparently her husband's stinky feet, and they, they finally reach their, their destination, and she tells her husband, I, like, I just need one second. I just need one second. And, and so as the fam, as they exit the vehicle, she reclines her seat back for like some restful me time. And Luke, one of our twins, looks over at, at, at me and Steph and is like, man, what a lazy mom. <laughs> and I'm like, are you kidding me, kid? Like... <laughs> But we're looking at him, and I'm like, Luke, that mom is all of us, right? That, that mom is all of us. In the midst of the, of the noise, of the hustle, 
in the grind of life. Like we're, we crave peace. We crave peace, but not just, not just mental and, and physical and, and emotional peace. We long for a peace that, that touches us at, at like this soul level, a, a peace that deals with the voices, a peace that deals with the guilt, a peace that deals with the regret, a, a peace that deals with our search for significance and for this desire to have connection with something bigger than us, which is a connection with the divine. And Peter says, Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our peace. And it harkens back to this Old Testament concept of shalom. This idea of, of wholeness, this idea of completion or being whole, people are looking for what will make them whole. And listen, listen, if the, if the solution resided in the goodness and the righteousness and the ability of man to bring about that wholeness, we would have experienced it by now. And yet we continue to fall for one humanistic solution after another. Church, this is, this is as old as, as the garden. Think about it. The moment Adam and Eve operated apart from God, the moment they stepped away from the word of God was the moment they lost their shalom. No peace. No wholeness, but here's the good news. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter how far you are from God. The solution to your peace problem is found, Peter is saying, in Christ alone. John 14, 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so listen, there, there's, a, there's a reason you haven't found wholeness in that relationship. Y'all hearing me? There's a reason you, you didn't find rest during winter break, right? There's a reason that your heart is, is restless. Augustine in his book Confession says, uh, listen, our, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee, O Lord. There's a reason why, why fear is ruling your heart right now. There, there's a reason why the counsel of, of the culture has gone unchecked in your mind because in, in the vacuum of peace that only Jesus Christ can bring, you will reach, we will reach for Christless solutions. And you may, you may even find yourself buying into the false peace of this world. Same thing was happening in the time of Jeremiah. Jeremiah talks about it where, listen, Israel is rebelling against God. They're sacrificing their children to Moloch. There's all kinds of injustice going on. They're, they've rebelled against God. And, and, and you had people in their culture uh, saying, hey, uh, Jeremiah 6.14, they've healed the wound of my people lightly saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. 
And then in verse 16 of Jeremiah 6, Jeremiah the prophet says, Thus says says the Lord, Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk in it. Christian, don't don't fall for all the world's false promises of peace. Look to the ancient past. Look, Look to Christ. You'll find him. Listen, you'll you'll find him present in your circumstances. You will. And when you do, here's, here's the deal. Church, we've got to point others to real peace. Amen? We have got to point others to this real peace. Second thing this morning. As we look at verse 37 through 43, and I'm going to kind of go verse by verse and unpack uh, Peter laying out the gospel. But listen, the second thing we need to know, the gospel-centered church preserves its witness. Amen? The gospel-centered church preserves its witness. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, preserve your witness. (laughs) Look at your other neighbor and say, preserve your witness. Awesome. So in verse 37 through 46, we, we see this repetition of several words, right? We see the repetition of proclaimed and witness and testify, preach, declare. And see, now, now Peter, again, Peter fully understands that God has called him to carry the message of the gospel to Caesarea as God's witness, As God's witness, there is so much talk about the witness of the church right now. And oh, oh, the irony that some of the same people who are saying that the gospel isn't enough are the same people who are redefining what the witness of the church is supposed to be. Church fan Peter says, Peter lays out the gospel explicitly in verses 37 through 43. D.L. Moody in talking about this sermon, this gospel message says, by tradition, see Peter discipled John Mark. And D.L. Moody says, by tradition, Peter was the source of Mark's gospel. And significantly, this sermon follows the same outline as, as Mark. So what does Peter say? Look at verse 37. He's talking to Gentiles in Caesarea, miles from Jerusalem, but he says, you yourselves know. What does that mean? It means the work of Jesus had not been done in a corner, amen? And word had spread, and more than likely, we already know that Philip had uh, made his way all the way up into Caesarea in this once, you know, righteous deacon of the Jerusalem church was now this powerhouse evangelist that is up in Gentile territory, and he's telling people about Jesus. Peter moves on, and in verse 38, he starts talking about the the life and the ministry of Jesus. He says that he talks about Jesus' baptism in the Jordan and how he was filled with the Holy Spirit and with the power of God. In verse 38, he, he talks about Jesus' works, his miracles, and how he healed all those who were oppressed by the devil. 
And it's interesting, and we're going to see a connection between 38 and 43. But in the Greek, that word oppress means to hold power, to exercise power over. So Jesus was breaking the power of the enemy and bringing freedom. Amen? And then in verse 39 and 41, Peter goes on, he says, we are, we are witnesses. But notice something. As you look at 39, not just of Jesus' death and resurrection, but of all that he did throughout his ministry journey. And why, so why, why is this important? Because it wasn't, it wasn't just that the disciples saw the resurrection, though they did. It's that they understood the resurrection in light of all that Jesus had taught and done. And they were Christ's appointed witnesses. In the Greek, it's this word martis. And it, and it really means witness or martyr. And to a man, except for John, who would die in exile, every single apostle laid down their lives as witnesses of this gospel. In verse 39, Peter points to Jesus' crucifixion. Verse 40, he points to Jesus' resurrection on the third day. Both, both the crucifixion of Christ, both that and the resurrection of Christ are essential elements of the gospel message. And then in verse 42, Peter says, he, he, he says this, he commanded us to preach to the people to testify that he is the one appointed. To testify carries with it this idea of authenticating something. They were authenticating the message of salvation through Jesus Christ alone. And then he goes on, he says, Jesus is uh, appointing, uh, or, or verse 42, to the people and testify that he's the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. So Peter points to Jesus as the future judge and ruler of the earth, that he will judge the living and the dead. Paul later in 2 Timothy would say, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. See, we don't give Jesus permission to be Lord. He is Lord. <laughs> we, and we don't... We don't like ask him to be judge. Like he is judge. Like he will be there at the judgment seat and judge the living and the dead. And listen, hear me on this. The gospel is, is bad news if the judge is against you. But if he has removed the record of wrong and all the charges against you by taking those charges upon himself, then the judge becomes your friend and your advocate. And it is good news. Peter, in verse 43, he, he, he's trying to close his message. We see he doesn't get to close it, but it says everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness. And in the Greek, that word forgiveness just means release. And it connects back to verse 38, that those who were held under the power of the enemy, those who Satan was exercising authority and power over, Jesus comes and he brings release. He brings forgiveness. 
He breaks the power of the enemy. Amen? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. Peter lays, he lays out for us the biblical gospel. <laughs> one, of my, one of my favorite office episodes, <laughs> Jim hilariously uses the, the chime of a computer shutting down <laughs> to train Dwight, Pavlov style, uh, to, to salivate for a breath mint. <laughs> And though at the beginning, Dwight is, uh, he balks at accepting a breath mint from his mortal enemy in the office. By, by the end of the experiment, he's begging for the breath mint. When the culture, over time, conditions the church to accept a false gospel, everybody's in trouble. See, the explicit gospel is this. It is the life, the death, and the resurrection, and the future position of Christ as ruler and judge of the earth. This is the gospel. Amen? This is the gospel. It's not, listen, the gospel is not God loves people. That's part of the gospel. The gospel is not... God changes lives. The gospel, the gospel is not your, your testimony. Like your, your life is not the gospel. In fact, if you tell people that your life is the gospel, that's actually kind of heretical. The gospel is not love others well by, by doing whatever the culture tells you to do. In fact, let me say this, and, and, and like I, wanna, I want to muster as much grace as I can, uh, but if you, like, if you have not shared the gospel explicitly with someone during COVID, please stop telling how others how to love their neighbor well. Stop. We have got to let the scriptures define what our witness is and what the good news truly is. Christ is the gospel. Amen? Jesus Christ is the gospel. The good news is that Jesus saves sinners through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And listen, it's important. We preserve our witness by loving others enough to tell them that it's only through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that that is the only solution to their sin problem. Third thing this morning, as we look at verses 44 through 48, the gospel-centered church provides evidence of the Spirit. Amen? The gospel-centered church provides evidence of the Spirit. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, provide evidence. <laughs> look at your other neighbor and say, provide evidence. So the events in verse 44 through 48 have been uh, coined by, by many, have been called by many the, the, the Gentile Pentecost, right? It's a, little, it's a little kind of reflection of what went down in Acts chapter 2. But one major difference, though, is in Acts 2, Peter, Peter finishes his sermon. Here, Peter doesn't even get to finish his sermon. 
Like he's still like waxing eloquent, like laying out the gospel, and, and, but he doesn't even get to finish. The text tells us in verse 44, check it out. While Peter was still saying these things, the spirit was poured out. The spirit was poured out on Cornelius and his fam and all his friends. Kent Hughes says there was no altar call. <laughs> there was no invitation. They simply believed and they were born again on the spot. Amen. And here the Spirit is, is evident by, by their speaking in tongues and their extolling God. And in verse 45 says, Peter's, his Jewish companions, there were six of his companions on the trip, uh, that they were astonished. In the Greek, they were amazed. In the Greek, it means to be astonished greatly. There was no doubt that the same Spirit of God that had been poured out in Acts 2 at Pentecost was being poured out here. And interestingly, it resulted in tongues in this instance, which makes sense because Acts 1.8, there was a blueprint that was rolling out and they needed to get the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And at least here, it, it, it wasn't unintelligible speech, but rather language because it says they were extolling God, which means they, to make large, to praise the greatness of. And so these Gentiles were praising the God of Peter who was blessing them through the finished work of Jesus. And of course, at this point, you get to verse 47 and 48, look in the text, like water, water baptism is like a no-brainer here, right? Water baptism was the, the external picture and, and, and the act of obedience for what had already clearly happened. So God, God had forgiven their sins and given them new life in Christ, just like the Jews. So church, like, understand this. Where the Spirit of God is at work, there's evidence, amen? There, there's evidence. Now, just a point of, of, of clarity. Now, if you deal with a handful of passages in Acts in a vacuum, you, you might think that tongues is, is the sign of the Spirit, but the full counsel of the New Testament gives no credence to that doctrine. However, Christian, let me be clear. There will be evidence. There will be evidence. Friday night, Steph and I were, we were looking back at old pictures on Steph's computer with the twins, pics from our, our wedding, pics from our, our, our travels, uh, and, and, and from mine and Steph's childhood, and, and there, was a, there was a picture of Stephanie as a baby smiling, and we hear, oh, that looks like Ruthie's smile. One of the other twins said, no, 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 that looks like Ben's smile. And then there's like some picture from me at 9 or 10, like posing all kind of ridiculous. And I just looked at the twins and like at the same time, Titus, right? Like it's definitely Titus, our nine-year-old. Um, if you look at all five of our kiddos, you'll see evidence that they're ours. They, they carry the the characteristics and, and the mannerisms and, and the, the speech and the, the value system of mom and dad. And in the same way, the gospel-centered church will give evidence of the Spirit of God in them. 
Look for the evidence. If you want to jot some of these down, John 16, 7 and 8, the Spirit is going to bring conviction of sin. You don't have any conviction of sin, you're, you're not really operating in the Spirit. John 14, 26, the Spirit-filled mind is filled with the teachings of Christ. Like you're just walking around and, and it's there, like you're just thinking, uh, like not in a cheesy WWJD bracelet kind of way, but like you're just thinking about the teachings of your Savior and your Lord. Acts 1.8 and Acts 4.31, the Spirit is going to empower us to bold gospel witness. 1 Corinthians 12. Romans 12, Ephesians 4, the Spirit is going to manifest certain gifts in your life. Ephesians 5, 22 through 23, there's going to be spiritual fruit in your life and in your character. The fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Church, there's going to be, there's going to be evidence and I've talked about this as we've walked through Acts, but there, there's so much that the American church right now is just doing in its own strength. And that's why our, that's why our celebrity Christians and churches and, and ministries get all this glory, but, but often God does not. And so often we can, we can point to a lot of like cool Christian things, but we can't definitively attribute what is happening to the power and presence of God alone. Church, when the Spirit of God is, is moving, hearts are convicted of sin. When the Spirit of God is moving, God's Word is front and center as the gospel is being proclaimed. And when the Spirit of God is moving, the hearts and the character of people are being transformed from the inside out as they become characterized, check this out, by the sacrificial love of Jesus. Where's that? Where's the evidence of that? I'll close, I'll close with this this morning and we're done. You ever, you ever played the, the game Mad Libs, right? I don't know if that's just, we got kids, so we do that. I don't know. If, you ever play Mad Libs where you, you take a, a normal story, right? And it's like, oh, like, you know, a scenic drive through the mountains, and then all of a sudden it involves like ninjas, right? You take a normal story, you start filling in keywords with words of your own choosing, and it, it, it makes for a lot of fun as, as usually the story ends up being like pretty, pretty outlandish and ridiculous. Church fam, Mad Libs is, is, is great for car rides, but it's not so great for the gospel. Y'all hear me? Not so great for the gospel. We don't get to change the story. God defines the terms, not, not us. The church has got to get back to gospel-centered. We've got to get back to gospel-centered. People are not the good news. Our, our works in righteousness is, is not the good news. The good news is Christ dying in your place for your sin. 
The good news is, is Christ risen in conquering sin and death that you couldn't conquer on your own. The good news, listen, it's, it's Christ's righteousness credited to your account so that when you stand before God, when you stand before the Father, He doesn't see the mess. He doesn't see the brokenness. He doesn't see the sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus that you've trusted in. So this morning, listen, the, the, like the ball is in our court. The ball is in your court. Christian, will you go from this place and be clear with the gospel? Spiritual seeker or maybe even skeptic, will you come to the end of yourself and fall on the mercy of of Christ and believe and receive the salvation that only he can bring. Y'all pray with me this morning.